Well, we're so glad that you're here this morning, and, and we're looking forward to getting into 1 Peter. Uh, we've started 1 Peter as our summer series, and we are, we are super thankful um, to be in the, the second chapter already. Uh, we're moving a little faster than we normally do. And so uh, break out your Bibles. There are pew Bibles here. Look underneath a chair. And we also have, we have copies of 1 Peter, Scripture Journals. If you'd like one, they are in the foyer. Feel free to go grab one right now, even if you'd like. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't get that to you. Um, but uh, we'd love for you to be able to take notes. It's a Scripture Journal, which means there's a page of Scripture and a page of lines to be able to write down what God's speaking to you through His Word. Well, let me, let me do this. I want to I say a word about VBS. I think uh, it was great. We had so much fun with uh, some friends of Ronnie and Laura's, a church from Louisiana that they've been a part of, and a sweet team of 20 folks that came and served with us. And I'll just tell you, their volunteers and our volunteers, we had a sweet week. Um, I saw an incredible unity and togetherness. I saw way more encouragement uh, this year. Uh, I, I saw us grow this year in, in how we did VBS. I loved the culture of it. So thankful for that, that uh, uh, this year we were able to avoid negativity and criticism, and we focused on making Jesus not ignorable and what was going well and how we could love and care for kids, and we trusted God with the rest of that, and I was so thankful to see that unity and that faith this year. And so I just, I want you to know um, I'm blessed to be a part of this church, and to be able to serve with you this week has been a pleasure. So with that being said, let me pray for us. Jesus, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for how it shapes us as we heard it from the mouths of babes, <laughs> as we heard it from our children, as they spoke of your glories, your coming to us, that you call to us, seek me, find me. God, we praise you for the ways that you've revealed yourself to us and how you are growing us into a people. And as we see that, as we see that, right, this local church, just one story of what you're doing in your larger church, one local church to see how you're growing us in virtue, you're growing characteristics of joy and peace and patience and gentleness in particular. As we serve with one another, and as we care and love and disciple this next generation, God, we thank you. So we pray that you would do a work in us right here, right now. Well, you'll be pleased to know one of my big takeaways from VBS was, was this. Um, helping to lead the worship rally was uh, most of the time shorter is better than longer. So you're probably going to appreciate that uh, this week and how that shapes me. Well, I want to share a story with you. This happened a, a year ago, but my, my daughter, Joelle, had a prized possession. A prized possession. Can you guess what this prized possession was? It was a stuffed animal. Did you see a stuffed animal up here? Somebody carried their stuffed animal? Well, my daughter did that. Her prized possession was a raggedy, tan and brown, floppy, stuffed dog, all right? And Doggy went wherever Joelle went. So if she was playing in her room, Doggy would be there. If she was down at the kitchen table, Doggy would be there. If we were in the car going somewhere, that's where Doggy would be because Doggy was Joelle's prized possession. 
You have a prized possession, something you treasure, something that you love, something that you're attached to, something that says something about your identity and who you are. Well, I remember last summer uh, we were camping in Grand Lake, and of course, Doggy went with us. And we had been out on an all-day excursion. We went into Rocky Mountain National Park. We drove all around. We hiked miles and miles of Rocky Mountain National Park. We came back to Grand Lake. We ate in Grand Lake. We walked all around the cool downtown area of Grand Lake. We played on the playground. We went down and we walked by the lake of Grand Lake. And then we went back to our campsite. Got out of the truck and Joelle went right to her favorite spot, the tents. And she started playing in the tents and the sleeping bags. And then as I was starting a fire unsuccessfully, uh, my daughter pops her head out of the tent and says, Daddy, where is Doggy? And I thought, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, that's a real problem. (laughs) And so I went over to the tent, I, I went through everything and opened up every sleeping bag and lifted up every mattress and wasn't there. So uh, I scanned our campsite, wasn't there. I opened up my truck, I took everything out, he was nowhere. And I thought, oh no, we left that doggy somewhere. And I have no idea where. Because everywhere we went, doggy went. Even when Joelle was hiking in the pack on my back, doggy was there. I thought, oh no, this is terrible. This is terrible. Joelle was in tears. Heather looked at me. What are you going to do? And so I got in, I got in my truck as it's dinner time, and I went into Grand Lake. I, 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 everywhere we stopped, everywhere we walked, I went hurriedly. I got down on my hands and did push-ups to look underneath every car where we had been. I walked into every restaurant and shop that we stopped at. I asked them if anybody had turned in a raggedy, ugly, throwaway kind of stuffed dog. And everyone said no. And so I thought there's only one place left that it would be. Rocky Mountain National Park. And I have no idea where it would be in Rocky Mountain National Park. But I was so desperate because I was imagining the tears that would be streaming down my daughter's face and and the muffled cry all night as she didn't have this stuffed animal, her prized possession. And so I took the turn into Rocky Mountain National Park. And what did I find? Sitting on top of the sign that says, you are now entering Rocky Mountain National Park, was Doggy. (laughs) Someone had found this little stuffed animal and knew this has got to be some child's toy, something they probably love and carry with them all all the time. Lost, and they set it up in a visible spot. I was so excited to get that dog. I ran out there, grabbed that dog, kissed it, put a seatbelt on it, (laughs) drove back to the campsite. It was the most proud I have ever been to serve my family, to find this stuffed animal and how overjoyed my daughter was until we finally really did lose Doggy sometime later that year. So it it was a joy. What is your prized possession? 
I mean, is it, is it a car? Is it something in your backyard? Is it growing in your backyard that you've been cultivating for years and you love it? What is it for you, a prized possession? This morning, we are going to talk about what God prizes in treasures. And it amazes me what he chooses to delight in, to find value in, to love now, it brings us to the topic of a building. I will tell you what, being a, a Christian for over 15 years now, I've noticed that sometimes Christians prize their buildings. They do. And I'll tell you what, I'm thankful for a building, and I'm thankful for all the, the team of people that have done a good job of, of caring for it. But sometimes a building can get in the way of what a church wants to do. Here's one example. We did... Uh, we did an outreach to Newton Middle School students, did an after-school program, and we got to have conversations about Jesus every week with students. And many of these students uh, never stepped foot in a church normally, never went with their families. And I remember the beginning of the conversations, there was a perception, so, so some kids that, that didn't normally go to church, that when they walked in this building, they had to act a certain way and talk a certain way. They were extra respectful. They felt like if I did something wrong in the church building, you know, I was in extra trouble with God than if I did something outside the building, which actually made it difficult because we were having conversations about life and the choices we make, and, and we wanted students to be real, and we found that they were putting up a facade as soon as they came in the building from what they had seen and heard in our culture as it talked about how it respectfully distanced themselves from a religious things, even a religious building. We had to take some of our conversations outside the very building to have good spiritual conversations about Jesus, to call students to follow him. But here's what we're going to look at today, a building, but it's a metaphorical building. It's a spiritual building. It's not just one local church, but it is the universal church. Every follower of Jesus that belongs to God makes up this spiritual house, this spiritual building, and it matters infinitely more than any building that we worship Jesus in. You see, what matters most and what we want to communicate to these students was, was it's not what you do within these walls, but it's who you trust in all of your life, no matter where you are. Who is there to rescue you, to save you? And we put up Jesus week in and week out as someone worthy to follow, who would not let us down. Well, I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. So turn there with me, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at the foundation of God's pleasure, Jesus, the Christ. 2 Peter or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says this. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. This is really interesting that right here, Peter opens up on a discipleship conversation, and what does he share? He immediately shares about the relationship of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and this is what he says. 
He says, you have come to Jesus, to him, and he calls him in God's eyes. He's speaking from God the Father's perspective about God the Son, calls Jesus a living stone, a living stone. You see, he, he uses these words to show God the Father's pleasure with God the Son. He says, in the sight of God, chosen, that Jesus is chosen and precious, now, this, this doesn't tell a story of that Jesus didn't exist. Jesus has always existed with the Father. Jesus is truly God. But as he was revealed to us in the flesh, just like we were singing about a Christmas song in the summer, right? You know, Jesus came to us. That's more than just a December theme, right? Jesus is coming to us that God the Father reveals God the Son, the chosen and precious one, is awesome and spectacular. It's a part of God's grace to us. But as we fast forward in, in the story of Jesus being revealed, one of the greatest revelations at the very beginning, we wonder, what does God the Father think about his Messiah, his Son? And we immediately go to Jesus' baptism. And Jesus was baptized himself as a model for all of his disciples to follow. And we hear those words coming from heaven as the Spirit descends like a dove on Jesus, he's baptized, brought down underneath the waters, and brought up, and we hear the, the audible voice from heaven say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What's Peter saying here? What do the gospel writers tell us? God the Father is delighted and pleased in his son that his treasure is to treasure his son. The son of God is infinitely valuable to the father. Now, this is really interesting. The living stone, this idea of a living stone. I love it. Peter is going to talk about a house structure. And so if you're going to think about this message, there is some kind of graphic or image in your mind. It would be of a structure, a building. And in particular, Peter's talking about the foundation. You've got to have a rock-solid foundation. We use concrete today most of the time, and we drive rods into the ground. But back then, in building a building, you wanted a good, square, solid stone in order to build your house on, to build a building on, to be able to support a wall. You wanted something solid. Well, it's amazing, as Peter wants to talk about Jesus being a foundation here, he can't help but talk about a stone w without attaching a word, a modifier like living. Now, here's the thing. We don't use the terms living or dead to talk about a stone, right? Is a, is a rock ever alive? No. And so, and so if we're going to talk about something being dead, it has to be once alive, right? And yet Peter chooses to use this word for a reason. A rock's an inanimate object. It doesn't have life. Therefore, it doesn't die. But Peter cannot help but describe Jesus the Son as a stone without using the word living, not just because Jesus is alive, but because he rose from the dead. Peter, as he talks about the Son, cannot help but bring up the importance of the resurrection of Jesus, that God the Father was so delighted in Jesus' humility to take on flesh to leave the fellowship that he enjoyed perfectly with the Father in heaven, to take on flesh on earth, to, to suffer at the hands of people, to, to even sacrifice his own life on the cross, 
And God the Father is pleased at all of that. How do we know? What Peter says, this rock, Jesus, is living. We know God the Father's pleasure for, for God the Son because he raised him up. He didn't leave him in the grave. He wanted him. He wanted him back. He brought him into fellowship with him in heaven, and he gave him the honor above all honors. We know that God the Father delights in God the Son. That means a lot for us. A lot for us. Fathers, <laughs> we can take a lesson from the Father here that our children need to hear our delight and pleasure in them. You know, it, we might want to see more in them. We might not be satisfied. Right? We want to see them grow, but we are pleased with them. We love them. For God the Father to say these words about God the Son, what He thinks. You know, perhaps you're here and you felt your, your Father's words of affirmation and love, and that's awesome. And maybe some of you are still waiting to hear those words, and you're holding out and you're not satisfied with what you've heard so far, or, or perhaps you, you know the final word from your father, and, and you're not pleased by that, and it doesn't look anything like the father's words to Jesus. I want you to put your hope in this, something eternally better, that the same delight that God the Father has in his son is the same delight that God the Father has for everybody who puts their trust in Jesus. Everybody who follows Jesus has the same favor from God the Father to Jesus, that we enjoy that. We're united with Jesus. We enjoy God the Father's pleasure, that he delights in us, just like Peter says that God the Father delights in God the Son. So here's the question. Do you know where you stand? Do you know where you stand? You know, I, 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 for a long time, before I was a Christian, I was a pretty good kid, I was really, I think most people describe me as a good kid, um, uh, aside from a few bad habits, you know, there. Like, I, I was generally obedient. You, you know what I'm talking about? Um, and so it, it was hard for me growing up in church to think about, well, I'm a good kid. I'm pretty good. I think I'm, I'm you know, better than average in the class at obeying the teacher. You know, you ever felt like that? And, and so I felt like, well, maybe God loves me because of that. I keep making these choices and, and good choices. And if I just keep making them, then he'll love me. And in and, and talking with people, a lot of people believe that's the gospel. They believe if I just do more good than bad, then God will love me. And, and, and they use words like, I think, and, and I'd hope, you know, that God would accept me for doing more good than bad or possibly and I'll tell you, when it comes to our status with God the Father for all eternity, we want to get away from the possible, you know, and, and, and I'd hope, or maybe. We want to know for certain. We want to know for certain. And you can know this, what Peter says, that God delights in the Son. If you stand in the Son as your foundation, as your one and only hope and trust, you know for certain you know in absolute hope that God is pleased with you, not based on the things that you have done and haven't done, but because you put your trust in Jesus. That's the call today, to put your trust in Jesus. He is this living rock that we can stand on and know that God the Father's words to Jesus at his baptism 
are the final words for us, that he is pleased with us, that he loves us because we are in his son. We need to know where we stand. Secondly, we need to know whom we stand for. Who do we stand for? For whom will you stand? In Christ, you are God's treasured possession. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can know this without a doubt, that I am God's treasured people, that he cares for me, that he loves me. I know we've got some students back there, and in middle school this year, we looked at this passage that we are God's treasured people in Jesus. It was a significant lesson. Who are you? And we read this passage. Look at verse 5. It says, you yourselves, like living stones, same image about Jesus, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying, a, I'm laying in Zion, his holy city, a stone, a cornerstone, a foundational stone, chosen and precious. So here Peter admits that he's plagiarizing the Old Testament. Peter's just using the words that God has already talked about prophetically in the Old Testament. And whoever believes in him, Jesus, will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. You remember Peter's talking about people who are journeying, who aren't home, who are exiles, they don't have status. They don't have credibility in the society they live in. And they know that following Jesus means that they have less. They have more reason for being shamed. And yet, what does Peter say? What do the prophets say? Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That is the right choice, the right hope to be God's treasured possession. Here we get a picture about the temple, a, a building, and we talk about a household. And there's kind of two ideas here. You, you know, with a house, two ways to think about it. And, and the Israelites knew this. And the people that Peter's writing to knew this. You know, there were a couple things to a house. A house was number one. It was a structure, right? Just like the temple structure. But then the second part of it as a house was a system of relationships. It was a family, Right? And so a house stood for these two, both the structure and the family, talking about these priests, these relationships, the, the structure of the priesthood. Peter's going to come back to that, and, and so will we. But he says like this, like the temple structure, you are set apart as gods. You see, in Israel, the people of God would, would walk to Jerusalem, and they would do this often, to worship God. And that building stood as a picture for them and for everybody else that observed that God loves us. We can go and graciously be in God's presence. That his house, his presence is among us. We are a people that he's put his grace on, that he treasures us. I love, I love, um, the story of the Israelites, when they conquered various peoples, moving into the land that God promised them, they, they took gold and they took silver as a, a part of the prize of conquering these people. But what did they, did they do? They gave it to the priests. And the priests set it aside. They consecrated it. And then they put it in the temple. 
not like a church building today, right? Uh, we, <laughs> we don't keep gold in here, just FYI. That's, that's not who we are. But the temple was filled with all kinds of treasure. It spoke to God's glory that he was the victorious God of the Israelites, that he was the one who gave all these enemies into their hands because the treasure of these enemies was in the temple. You could go and see some of it. I think, uh, I think it's really interesting. We can obsess about buildings. Christians, other different religions, obsess about their buildings. I've got one song I'd like to, like to talk about. You thought we were done with kids' songs. We're not done with kids' songs this morning. I got one for you. Okay, you ready? If you've ever heard this one, you ready for this? You know where I'm going with this. Yes. You see this right here? This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people, right? You, you know that one? Okay, so let's talk about the heresy of that song. No, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I do think it's important that we use the right language that's going to help our kids, especially young minds, to understand that church is not a building. Church is not this. Church is the treasured people of God. They get together like a good family does, right? They share values. They care for one another. They encourage each other. The church is not a building. You know, there's a second, there's a second um, way to sing that song that theologians better than me have come up with in order to help kids understand this is not a church. It's this. It's this. Uh, you know, here is the building. Here is the steeple. Open the doors. The church is God's people. Because that's the truth that Peter wants his readers to understand. I'm writing to you in the midst of your suffering to know that you are God's building. You're his treasured people that he cares for. He's not going to let you be put to shame. That's not going to be the last note of your story. Even if you're hitting it right now, that's not the last that's going to be spoken about you. Well, thirdly, we need to know why we stand. Peter says this, in contrast to those who reject Christ. He says there's two ways to live, and he once again quotes the prophets. Look at verse 7. But for those who do not believe, the stone, Jesus, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, foundational, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is really interesting. This is really interesting. Peter's commentary here. You know, th there, are, there are two kinds of people. God's treasured people that respond to his son Jesus, and then there are those who stumble over it. And he says why. He says this is why they stumble. Because they were disobeying God before. And their only hope is this cornerstone. And if they don't listen to him, there is no hope. That's what he's saying right here. They stumble because they disobey the word. The real lack of faith here is that they don't want to listen, continue ignoring God. Here's the call right here. If, if you perhaps are saying, I'm not sure I've been listening to Jesus, right here what God is saying to you from 1 Peter in his word is this, reconsider the cornerstone. I want you to reexamine my son. 
I want you to see that I put him out as the foundational piece for you to believe. You see what happened, and this is amazing, that Jesus in his ministry on earth had way more people that saw him and rejected him. You know, respectfully at a distance, but they rejected him. They weren't going to listen. They weren't going to respond to his call to come and follow them. They were very few people that did. And so you and I shouldn't be surprised as we sojourn through this life that God is going to put us rubbing shoulders with people that have not responded to his word yet. We shouldn't be surprised by that. That was Jesus' experience. And it's the experience he wants for us. That's why he puts us there. But this is what he says. I want you to reject those attitudes of ignoring me overly critical and negative towards me, I want you to listen and look at this stone to put your trust in him. That's the call this morning. If you have not put your trust in Jesus, Peter, God through Peter is saying, this is my cornerstone. There is no other way to know me except through my son and that you would believe in him. There's always been two ways and Peter knows it well because Peter's writing from a Jewish perspective. He's not writing to Jewish people, but he's writing from a Jewish perspective. He knows way back in the Stone Age, way back when the Israelites didn't even have anything to sharpen their plows or their axes, their farming equipment. I mean, you're talking Stone Age, right? Not technically, but think about that. They couldn't sharpen an axe. That's the technological age, and yet God spoke to many of them and said, here are my promises, and Abraham believed Jacob, Isaac, so many of their descendants, they believed him, and we get to see the outcome of their life and their faith, that in the end, they were not put to shame, even when they didn't see God's promises fulfilled in their lifetime. No one was put to shame. You and I can know that, that we will never be put to shame as God's treasured people in eternity. Okay, so this leads us to the last thing. As God's treasured possession, two concluding thoughts, you live with status. You are possessed by God. You are claimed by God. Look at verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These are powerful identity words, and each one of them have to do with a status, a relationship, a receiving good and grace from God. Well, look at these words, a chosen race. You're like, oh my goodness, we're talking about the supremacy of one race. No, we're not, not at all. How many of you have seen the, the, the movie Terminal with Tom Hanks, The Terminal? Anyone? I love that movie. I love the cultural dynamics in it. But essentially, you have, you have someone who, who uh, lost their political status. They were over here in the U.S. in the airport, and then all of a sudden their country didn't exist because of revolution. And they were left without a political status. They had no citizenship of any country. And right here, Peter's getting at the idea right here. You have a great status in citizenship with God. That's who you are. 
a royal priesthood, he's talking about this, that you are the king's servants. You are set aside and you are sacred. The priests were sacred in Israel. There were things that they just did not do. They didn't do because it would make them unclean. And they were set apart for a special service to God. They are a kingdom of priests. That's what he calls us. What do we do today? What do a lot of denominations do? Oh, man, there's a big chasm, right, between laity and clergy, whatever it is. Well, you got to wrestle with this. Why does Peter call us a royal priesthood? Not just certain Christians, everybody who is the treasured possession of God is a part of this royal priesthood. And then thirdly, a holy nation. That's a nation that's set apart. Literally, you are set apart as my people, God's people, a people for his possession. It goes all the way back to the garden that we know Adam and Eve were created for a relationship with God. And it was broken, and, and we saw its brokenness in all kinds of ways. And one of the ways was that, was that God no longer claimed Adam and Eve. They were kicked out of the garden. A lot of that relationship was lost. God was still gracious to them in some ways and merciful, but it was a relationship lost. What Peter's saying is the relationship has been restored. And you, Christian, are being built up together, brothers and sisters, into a spiritual house that speaks to God's excellency, that he has saved you, that you shine light in the darkness because he has called you out of the darkness into his life. You are claimed by God, claimed by him, possessed by him. And you live with purpose. Here's the question, uh, purpose. Okay, if we're claimed by God, is it all about like, will we show people we're better than them? Or No, not at all. Where does Peter go? You live with purpose. You are ambassadors for God. You represent God in this world. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Those are sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the nations, literally. He says the nations honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of your visitation. I want you to be so clean, virtuous, pure, honorable, that even your opponents are going to recognize God has done something special with this people. I don't like them, but I can't ignore that God has done something amazing with them. The way that they respond and act, even when we come against them, these Christians are filled with grace. We can't offend them. We hurt and hate them, and they love us in return? I don't get it. That's the testimony that Peter wants in the brothers and sisters all over ancient Turkey because they are God's people you see, Peter, um, while he does talk about suffering and gives hope and comfort, he, he also wants to make sure that there's a real purpose, that you're ambassadors, you're representatives of Jesus, even in the hardship, even in suffering. You are ambassadors of God. He has claimed you, and you have a special place. So you and I, we know our purpose. You and I are the only people who can practice the presence of God in the presence of others. Nobody else can do that. You are God's special treasure. On this earth, you represent him. And so you and I need to think about this. 
How can I practice the presence of God? I'm his treasured possession. He's put his spirit in me. How do I practice the presence of God among my neighbors? How do I do that among my brothers and sisters? How do I do that as a mom and a dad? How do I practice the presence of God as I lead in my business or at my company? How do I practice the presence of God in the presence of others? Because no one is going to be able to do that except for you. Brothers and sisters, there is no second-class citizenship in, in God's kingdom. You either aren't or you are in Christ and therefore God's treasured possession. Amen. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to realize and to recognize this special, this special relationship that you've given us, that it shapes who we are and how what we do on this earth. God, make us good ambassadors. Give us confidence in your grace and love to reclaim us, to put us forward as a people. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.